Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas here. Today, we have another incredible author guest joining us today, Laura Lee Kajo. Kajo, yes? It's a tough one. It's a tough oh, one, Dallas. Good I job. almost Kajo. got it. I almost got it. Almost. Thank you, Kajo. Okay. You're welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here joining us today. You, you have so many things under your belt. There's so many different ways to describe you, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. Here we go. Okay. You are a multi-book, multi-pin name author. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Almost. I'm Writing sure there's coach, much more. Lots of things. Say. Writing coach. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you yeah. are here today. You're going to share all of those things with us, with our audience, and also your Christian testimony. And so I'm going to give you the first few minutes here just to tell us a little bit about who you are, Laura Lee. Awesome. Thanks, Dallas. So my Christian testimony, I mean, I'm going to be 60 in a few uh, months in March and uh, next month, actually. And um, so I have lots of testimonies. But if I go back to the very basic, um, I, my mother was my first Sunday school ch- teacher. So I grew up with people who attended church. But my father, because he was an alcoholic, He chose to stop going to church because he felt like he was a hypocrite. So instead of choosing to try to have God help him, he just yielded and said, this is who I am. This is what I do. So basically, the family stopped going. And I went by myself until my early teens. Now, my early teens was in the 1970s. So I went out into the world and did all of the things I thought I was big and bad enough to do. And if you know anything about the 70s, that's Mm -hmm. drugs, sex, rock and roll, all of that. And I found on New Year's Eve, the year I was 17, I put myself into a position where a lot of really dangerous things were happening and bad things happened to me. And I left that moment, went home that night, and I just believed that God hated me. I believed that I had destroyed any relationship I could ever have with him. And I cried out to him. And when school started, I found a girlfriend who I knew went to church every Sunday, and I asked her if I could start going with her. And it was in, um, that was 1981 of January, February, where I became, I'd say, born again. It's when I learned that Jesus was more than a baby in a manger and a man on a cross. He wanted to be my friend. He -hmm. wanted to fix and heal and mend and be there for me. So that's my personal kind of come to Jesus testimony. Um, that I think, you know, fits what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And thank you for reminding us again, because I think this is a message we need to remember that it's not just going to church that gets you saved. It's not the pastor. It's not your parents. It's Jesus. It's a personal relationship. It's a personal relationship relationship. with Jesus. 100% Dallas, 100%. 
So thank you for reminding us, because that's something even we get in the routine of just going to church, you know, listening to the pastor, worshiping at the church, but we need to bring it home too. You know, it's not something we can just entertain inside of the the four walls of the church. We need to experience this every single day of our life. That's correct. Excellent. Thank you for saying this, Laura Lee. I appreciate it. Going a little bit deeper into your book. So I got to know a person who has many books under their belt. What was your first book? When did you find your love for writing and when was it released? Okay. So my love for writing, this is kind of a common question that writers get all the time. And you've interviewed a lot of writers. And so they probably always tell you I've been writing all my life. Stories have been speaking to me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's why I fell in love with the Bible so early as a young person. I it was eight years old when I tried to read the Bible end to end for the first time. Um, so story has always been really something that resonated with me in telling stories. I didn't finish my first novel. I think I started my first novel when I was in my early 20s. I want to say 21, 22. I didn't finish it for 25 years. <laughs> Because I was, wow. you know, I ended up getting married, I had children, I got divorced, I had, you know, work, I had to pay bills, I had to do all that stuff. And so by the time I finished, I started going to Christian writers conferences and trying to discover what I didn't know. That gives <laughs> me hope. That gives me hope. Because I, I tried, yeah. I wrote a couple of chapters down and I haven't Writing it up is hard. Years. There you go. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Writing right. is hard. So that particular book I have not published yet. Um, I haven't gone back. The story is great. I still love the story. Um, I just haven't had a chance to go back and rewrite it to be clean and what people want to write. With the publishing uh, style, with the publishing professional quality, that's what I'd say. Um, So I'll go back to it. But I say I always have um, been a writer. And then you asked me a couple other questions and I've forgotten them. Yeah. When was the first one released that you released? The first one I released was Locker 572 and it was released in 2011. It was the fourth one I wrote, but it was the first I one that's I published. Tough, right. You create something so amazing and then you don't <laughs> share it with people. Like what? Um, it's hard because you keep trying to convince people um, mm. that, you know, that it's worth publishing. So you keep going. And at that time, I was really trying to go down the traditional route and have an agent and, you know, get a traditional house to pick it up. And it was because this book here, Locker 572, which deals with um, a high school setting, bullying and suicide. um, I pitched it to an acquisition editor um, at, uh, I won't mention the house because that might embarrass them, but it was a big house in New York that sold Christian, that was a Christian big named house um, Mm -hmm. that sold Christian fiction. And I told them it was a book about bullying and suicide in high schools. And the acquisition editor for young adults said, yeah, bullying's really an elementary school problem. And I was like, wow, this person's really out of touch with what's really going on Mm -hmm. um, that I had to tell her, no, there are laws that back in 2010, when I was pitching it to her, um, New York was coming up with laws to help connect people who bully someone to the point of suicide, that, that there can be crimes of just harassing a person to death. And so um, that's when I went with a very small press. And then after that press went out of business, um, I had a friend who showed me how to independently publish them. And since then, I was able then, once I hire, I do everything in my books that a traditional publisher would do. So I make sure I hire three levels of editors. I pay for covers. I do all the things that traditional publishers do. So I can produce really high quality. But Mm -hmm. I think what took so long to get it out there was I kept waiting until someone in the publishing industry said, yeah, this is this is important in the world. Instead, I had to then God kind of just said, 
no, I'm saying it's important. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and put it out there. And he has since done that. I I know that particular book is still the bestseller. And it absolutely, I know, still changes lives. I get emails from young people all the time. And it's rewarding to know that something that you've got out there is changing lives. And how many books do you have in total written, released, not written, because it sounds like you have many, but (laughs) released, how many do you have? Um, If you're talking novels, I have four. Okay. I have 61 books on Amazon right now, but some of them are low content books. Um, some of them are coloring books. I'm working on um, a recompilation of the Bible. I have children's books. I have um, but four novels that mm-hmm. I have right now. And I'm in the middle of hoping to publish two more this year. Wow. But I have 13 I mean, I, works in progress right now. I don't even on. know how to respond to something like that. Like, this is full time. <laughs> Decades. Yes. Man, so tell us what is, I did not prepare you for this question, but I got to know, what is your writing structure like? Like, what is the best environment the process. For you to write? Yeah. Yeah, you know. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. The Preacher, The Prophecy, and The Fire is a new concept album written by Simon Hoover. This album was inspired by the fire of Ulysses, Norway, in 1904, a supernatural modern-day event that displays that Jesus is alive and is performing miracles through His servants in our lifetime. It is a story about the gospel, persecution, angelic visitations, God's protection, and revival. Listen to the album by searching The Preacher, The Prophecy, and The Fire on YouTube today. Are you looking for a podcast that you can tune into, grab a cup of tea, and just relax listening to godly-inspired truths that edify your life? Then As I Grow Up by Carla Silver has the podcast for you. Through her podcast, she discusses what she has learned in her walk with Christ and takes you on her journey as she learns more. Find more information by searching As I Grow Up on all streaming platforms. I'm only just discovering it's interesting, but right now I'm finding writing in sprints with other people. So, you know, we have this thing in the U.S. called Meetup. You know, I don't know if that works in Brazil in the same way with you, but there's um, a chance to meet with other people. So writers, we get together in a coffee shop. We get a little timer. We set it for 20 minutes and we're all just head down writing. And then we after the timer goes off, we then break for 10 minutes. So it's that positive peer pressure. Mm-hmm. It's fun too. It's an interesting thing, but you know, that's become really the most productive and enjoyable time for me writing because writing is a very solitary time. Then I have a process for editing and revision that's kind of more internal, but that's really what I found. And in, and in fact, it's inspiring, inspiring me to do it on YouTube now and start kicking off um, on Friday nights. I'm going to do what's called a Friday night writes where I'm just going to invite people to come and we're just going to write together because I do That's a an awesome virtual one already on Wednesday. Night writes. So I know, you're, a writer. Like... you're a writer. Come on. <laughs> you know, oh. we've got a creator who gives us inspiration so we can be creative. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. And today we're oh, focusing on your trilogy. Correct. The center. And That's so right. as my understanding, you have two of those released so far. Correct. Correct. Okay. So let's dive a little bit deeper. What is the center? Okay. Well, what inspired me to write the center was, like I said, when I wrote my first few books, 
I um, discovered that I didn't really understand what plot was and how to do plot. I was very good at character, but I didn't understand how plot was. And so after I was going to these writers' conferences and learning about plot, I happened to read, and I pulled it up here from Bible Gateway. I happened to be reading my Bible one day, and I came across Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And this is the list of the six things God hates, and seven are an abomination to him. Mm-hmm. And it's literally a proud look. This is the New King James Version. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lie, lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. When I saw that, I saw plot points. I saw someone committing each of these slowly progressive from a proud look to a lie, to shedding blood, to, you know, I saw this progressively and I saw a story of someone who was very much like me when I was a teenager, who had started to do some very bad things that if a God of love hates something, then he must hate me and how separating behavior. So I just saw the plot from there was Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Wow. Because when you, when you first read this, like, let me just give some to our audience here. Hidden high in the Rocky Mountains, the center houses inmates ages 12 to 22. The experiment in reform isn't without controversy. Blogs report students being tasered and tortured in a dungeon. 18-year-old Courtney doesn't buy the hype. Concentration camp tactics wouldn't fly in America especially not for the niece of a U.S. senator, right? Will Courtney find a way to run things the way to run things the way on the inside she did on the outside? Or will the center take away more than her freedom? That alone's like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> and then you add in that it's based on Proverbs. You're like, okay, this is what's happening here. So I'm really interested. And I think that when you first read that, I don't think that you would first go to Christianity. But then when you tie that in, it, it's just so much more creative in my mind of something like this. So I'm really interested on how some of this relates. Can you give us just a little bit without giving too much away? Like, Absolutely. And I don't even mind. So um, I will give you a little Easter egg for your, for your, for your listeners. Um, So locker 572, the, the, this is bullying, right? Deals with bullying. Mm -hmm. And there's a sub character. The head of the mean girls is Courtney in this book. Mm. And so when I started to write the center, right? I needed a mean girl who was going to go to this high-tech detention facility. And the truth is, it's based on this theory that if we could get young people who commit crimes to go to more reform, to teach them, you know, um, get them an education, get them psychological help or mindfulness or moving them towards healthier thinking patterns, that wouldn't that be great? But of course, a young person entering wouldn't want you know, the, the shackle is really just a GPS because they're not locked in cages. They're free to roam. It's surrounded by a fence, electric fence, because it is still a detention center, but they're free to roam, but the GPS monitors them and stuff. So basically you will find that at the beginning of the chapter, when you get to that, it will literally have the quote there. So the quotes at the beginning of the earlier chapters are by Ayn Rand who was a socialist, atheist socialist, who basically was never care about anyone else, only care about yourself, to this concept she learns how satisfactory it is to care for others, that there's this win. You know, you're a missionary, and Mm -hmm. my children, you know, I used to take them to serve food to the homeless on um, Thanksgiving. They will remember to this day those times they served more than the presents they got at Christmas time. 
So while our innate sinful nature says, I want, give me, give me, give me, the spirit inside of us says, I want to give, not get. And we feel more rewarded when we give. So that's what she learns in the center is that concept. Those are kind of, those are the kind of Christian books that we need. You know, books like this. (laughs) We need more creativity and you're giving it to us. So thank you. And why? So the first book, The Center, the second book of the trilogy, what is it titled? It's called The Bunker. So basically the center has this, uh, it's a a bunker that's a part of the center. When the center is um, destroyed at the end of the first book, Courtney ends up going into the bunker. And then this one is based on truth. And so there, it's a bit dystopian. So she has a choice between either facing all of the, the crimes she's committed, you know, in her life, things that have injured other people that she's done, facing that truth or living a bit like the Truman Show, because it's a bit mm-hmm. dystopian. There's this Truman Show in the cave where she gets to go have a brand new identity, a brand new family and live this false yeah. story. She has to choose. So this one is based in truth. And that's the premise that the bunker tries to teach young people as she continues to examine her relationship with God. Because, of course, I I don't think it's really easy to go from really completely entitled quickly into a relationship with Jesus. Because even when I became born again, I can't say that my while my life completely changed and absolutely things in my life went in the completely opposite and better direction. We still have to live this life and deal mm-hmm. with the everyday managing of what is this world. So the that's the bunker. Book, the third one. Yeah, the third one isn't written yet. <laughs> the third one is going to be written in 2024. She stays in the bunker for a little while, and I have a couple other books I'm, you know, got wow. in the hopper to come out for this year. But it's going to be based on love, and it's going to be based on. It's going to be called The Outside. And it's her coming out with this baggage and this, what she's learned. And also the bunker's not a good place. So dealing with that trauma, but it's going to be based on first Corinthians 13. So her learning love is patient. Love is kind. What love really means. Um, so that's the third book in the trilogy. And what was the reason for waiting until writing to 2024? Because for my, like, I'm like, you got to get this finished. Like, come on, give, people are waiting. Um, I right? think. There are some other writers out there that don't do all their series in order. And Mm. I, to your point, I, you earlier, you're like, I don't know how many books you've written. I have 13 unfinished manuscripts. And so it's really just a matter of, okay, I, they're my children. I need to get them off the couch, out of the house, go make mom some money. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So, um, and some of them are connected. So there are Easter eggs in all my books. So every book I have has a character thread. So there's some things that have to happen before Courtney comes out from some other mm-hmm. sub-characters in the book that are going to show up in a couple of books I released this year. Hopefully I'm I'm on track to get that done. And then I'll be ready for the outside. And it even says it at the end that, you know, that it's going to, but yeah. And now, then we got to move into Netflix series. You know, you got to start making series of the center hey. of the locker, all of it. From your lips to God's ears, right? Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll be the first one. I'll be the first awesome. one. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. incredible. Appreciate it. It's, it's so great to, to chat with you and to hear your story, hear a little Thank bit you. about your writing process and in the center. And so who would you say that the center is written for? Because you sound it sounds like you really are very direct and intentional when you're writing. And so who would you say it's written for? 
Yeah, it's really important as an artist to have a target audience. And so my target mm -hmm. audience is young adults. So when I think young adults, I'm thinking anywhere from high school. It, it's it's written at a level and there's not graphic enough. It can go from seventh up. But my target audience is really high school to early college age and anyone who's seeking. Someone who's looking for an answer to how to live better, how to overcome entitlement. So it's really just focused on anyone who's really kind of seeking that's the focus. I don't write necessarily to send a message. It's funny, when I wrote Locker 572, I wrote it to entertain. I wrote it because I had a personal perspective. I dealt with my own issues with suicidal ideation, and I just wrote it from authentically me. I wanted it to entertain. I didn't know it could heal. What I discovered after the mental health director of um, New York called it bibliotherapy. And I didn't know what bibliotherapy was. And ultimately what that is, is just like if you read a horror story and it frightens you, it's because your brain processes that as it's happening to you. It's why we get afraid. It's why if we read erotica or something like that, we get you know um, excited. And so our brain can't tell the difference. So if a therapist has a book that a, a, a reader can go through a process mm -hmm. like suicidal ideation and how to get on the other side of that healthy a book then helps in therapy. And so I, while I write to entertain, I hope that the Holy Spirit turns what I write into something that can heal. Yeah. That's my ultimate goal. I was going to ask you another question, but I think you just answered it. You can maybe extend your answer. So someone with so much creativity like yourself, why Christian books? You know, why, why in this direction? And I think you kind of answered it. You hope that people are changed. And so, yeah. And I'll be honest, my, uh, my target audience isn't Christian. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, I do write from a Christian worldview. I can't not because I am a Christian. Um, but I attempted to write in the Christian market, but my, it wasn't something that was being, um, understood. I think maybe it was too early mm -hmm. for them. Um, I don't want to say anything now because I haven't approached anyone lately. Um, but I specifically Locker 572, this is sold in schools as curriculum. If it's overtly Christian in the U.S. market, yeah. they can't use it as schools. So there isn't any overt messaging in Locker 572 that can keep a, a teacher from being able to use it as curriculum in the school. So my point. target audience is, like I said, seekers. It's not necessarily Christian. It just so happens that God's message mm -hmm. is... It, it's it's how we live, right? So my market is really more secular. Uh, the center happens to be the one book that someone could say that's a Christian book because it literally has Bible verses in it mm -hmm. and a Christian who's telling her, hey, I have the answers. Um, but the rest of my books aren't necessarily, you know, more JK, J, yeah. more um, Tolkien than C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, right? Makes sense. Lewis makes sense. is very clearly overtly Christian, whereas Tolkien was like, "Hey, I have a Christian message. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's more something the world can accept because they're afraid of that word Christian." It's and I think it's word. happening more and more. People are more afraid than ever yeah. of this word, right? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more. So, how did you go from writing to now the CodJoeBooks.com? So now you're you're working as also a publisher. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Yes. So 
How did that happen? Yeah. So what happened is, is when I published Locker 572, I was with a small press and it had a lot of drama. And in fact, I didn't know until two days before they closed their doors. I had a friend of mine who was published, traditionally published in the Christian market. She wrote lots of romance novels. She called me and said, did you know such and such company is going out of business? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And people at books, schools are buying this book. I can't have it go out of print. Mm -hmm. And so she offered to... uh, self-publish it for me because a lot of artists are going the self-publishing route for royalties. The royalties are extremely higher if you Mm -hmm. go through something like KDP and Amazon. And so Amazon has their own publishing. So she did it for me. Eventually she reached out and said, let me show you how to do that because her books are romance and a bullying suicide book didn't really fit (laughs) in her, you know, wheelhouse. So she showed me how and that's really what kicked off me discovering how can I then put my books into the market, which then is what God wants me to do, which is this um, ultimately the can-do Bible, which mm-hmm. I think I want to save for another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Hold off on that one for now. <laughs> we have Definitely. a lot going on. We have a lot I going do. on. I, I am checking out your website right now, and I do want to encourage our audience below. You can find the link as well to all of that. And so now you're working not just with your books, but books of other people. And so are you asking people who do want to promote books or to publish books to visit your site? Is that kind of what you're doing? No, everything right now, I'm solely publishing my own items mm. on it because okay. I am publishing. Oh, so all of this uh, is you. curriculum. Wow. I, I was looking. I was yeah. Like, every single thing on you. my site wow. is mine. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's all my stuff. So I'm not soliciting Um, I do want to encourage writers. So if I solicit anything on my website or on on my YouTube channel, it's um, which I'm going to launch this month. uh, It's going to be to help writers Mm -hmm. uh, be inspired, help writers to write because I feel like that's what I needed. But every single thing on my website is something I created from the art and the children's books to the coloring books, the translated copy. This one's in Spanish. you know, all of the artwork and everything. I'm the you artist. You are a as true well. artist. You are a true artist. Thank you. Thank you. And wow. this is decades of working in corporate America. So I'd like to encourage any of the writers that might be listening is literally, this is what I would do in the morning before I would go to work. Cause I had to do my art to balance mm-hmm. that. Now we got to pay the bills, but now so, I'm finally retired full time. Yeah. That's what the pandemic did for me. It enabled me to just say, you know what? Life is short. We save up all our 401k money. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good because when it like for podcasting for me, you know, I'm a missionary, but I do a lot of podcasting as well with other people myself. It's just that outlet. You know, I love to do it. I love to preach. I love to get the word out there. And yeah, that's so cool. So cool. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy that you're able to do this full time. Yeah, such a good thing. Yeah. And it's a big pivot, as you know. Is there anything else that you would like to tell our audience today that we should know Um, about you or your books? No, I think you have a great podcast. I think you do a great job at interviewing. So I appreciate it. You're very thorough and you've asked all of the questions that help readers know. I I look forward, if there are any teachers who are interested, um, if if schools buy my book, I will do... um, zoom calls and talk to kids. And I've, I'm really pro education. You'll see that on my site, lots of educational type material on my site. It's kind of what I'm drawn to. So if teachers do want to reach out and have me visit their school, 
whether it's a public school, whether it's a Christian school, I've done speaking, I've done assemblies on the topic of bullying, suicide, or even just writing. So yeah, have them reach out, get a hold of Excellent. me. Excellent. Thank you so much, Laura. If you, if I can have you end our time together with a prayer, I would really appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. No you. problem whatsoever. So Father, thank you so much. And I just come before you because I'm just so grateful to just being born in a time where Dallas can be in Brazil and I can be sitting in Baltimore and yet we can connect and we can connect on one accord, touching and agreeing Mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit is broad and wide and it touches the lives of everyone who is interested in drawing near to Jesus. So Lord, I just want to take the time right now and just pray over Dallas, the pastor, those that are in the Brazilian community that he serves, his wife, his family that is maybe here in the U.S. missing him, Lord, I just want to cover that. I want to ask you that if there's anyone, Father, my books can help, that they find them, read them if they need to reach out, Lord. We just ask you to watch over us. We are so grateful. You are so awesome. You are so magnificent. And we th- we're thankful that nothing, not height, not depth, not anything can separate us from your love. And so, Lord, we thank you that you just continue to love us in spite of ourselves um, because you created us in your image and in your likeness and that your Holy Spirit is so real and so deep. And so we just give you this time, all the work that I'm trying to do, all the work that Dallas is trying to do, and all of those that are supporting this podcast, let them know we are lifting them up right now. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're going through, God loves you. We pray this in Jesus' magnificent name. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.